Good morning. <laughs> I wasn't entirely certain there would be anyone here today. I thought today, you know, today might be a day when it just made sense to join us by our live stream. And I'm glad those of you who are doing that by live stream this morning. But it is really good to see you brave, hearty souls here this morning. Um, I just wanted to uh, reassure you that uh, COVID has um, run its course, at least in terms I'm not shedding virus anymore. So you could sit in the front row if you wanted. Uh, and uh, to say, yeah, I had a mild case of COVID would be accurate on the level that, that says, you know, it, it didn't send me to the hospital. But dang, this thing can knock you for a loop. And uh, it was a, it was not something I would like to do again. So what I'm bringing this up for, oh, I also just wanted to say this. One of the symptoms that I experienced was this kind of waves of just unreasonable tiredness, just out of nowhere. So yesterday, Martha and I were watching the Rose Bowl parade, trying to catch a glimpse of our old friend, Carol Krell, who was in one of the marching bands with band directors of America. Um, we didn't see her, but we tried. But just sitting on the couch and making the effort to watch television was too much for me yesterday, and I had to go take a nap. Um, so I just wanted to warn you that if sometime during my sermon today that wave hits me and I step down and either crawl off to the side here or go back to my office, just hang out for 10 or 15 minutes. I'll come back and finish it up. <laughs> It'll all be good, right? Uh, but just to say that, look, you know, we don't imagine that we are going to be going back into any kind of lockdown here at the church. We don't know what our government will do and say about that, but we don't imagine that we will. But you probably already know many, many people that have been hit by uh, COVID in the last few weeks. And I just wanted to remind you that, A, if you have any kind of cold symptoms at all, um, you might just assume that it's COVID, but don't come on Sunday, okay? We'll miss you. Even if you've got a major role to play, don't come. And we'll get through this uh, over the next few weeks. We might have to suddenly shut something down, like if our uh, Sunday school teachers don't arrive. Uh, but we'll get through it together, and we'll emerge on the other side and uh, be, glad, <laughs> be glad that it's come and gone. Well, today's scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 11, so please stand with me today and let's honor God's word as we hear it. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through chapter 12, verse 3. <clears throat> and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received their dead back to raised to life again. And there were others who were tortured, 
refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some face jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what was promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles and let us run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Please be seated. I mean, wow. That is one incredible passage, isn't it? It's stirring and it's disturbing. I mean, can you imagine such faith? I mean, thrown among hungry lions because you proclaim Christ as your Lord and then shutting their mouths through faith, quenching the fury of an inferno meant to incinerate you for your faith and quenching those flames by faith, torture, floggings, stonings, wandering in the desert, living in caves, wearing goatskins, destitute for your faith. And yet, through faith in the living God, real people endured these things and came out victorious, either in the way they lived or in the way they died. Stirring and disturbing. I mean, images like these or, or stories of, of missionary heroes like, uh, like Dr. Paul Carlson, the covenant medical missionary who refused to leave his patients during a rebellion in the Congo in 1964 and lost his life as a result. These stories stir our imaginations and they disturb us as well, or, or they should, because... <laughs> These stories don't sound very much like our faith stories, do they? Or the stories of people we know. Uh, the Bible holds up stories of faith like these as examples for us, but there isn't much resemblance between their faith and ours, is there? And that is disturbing, or it should be. So, so I mean... Let's be honest. Is your faith like the faith described in the passage I just read? No. I mean, and does that disturb you? Or, or if you had to be completely honest, would you say that 
you've never really thought that ordinary people like us are supposed to have the kind of faith that quenches raging infernos around us or closes lion's mouths. I mean, that kind of faith is for biblical heroes, right? I mean, it never occurs to most of us that God can do, intends to do, amazing things through people like us, regular people like us. I mean, we believe in God, but no one is suggesting our names for the biblical hall of fame. So I want to offer another perspective today. Uh, Great faith in God is supposed to be a way of life for God's people. And it has nothing to do with being some sort of biblical superhero. We need go no further than Hebrews chapter 11 to be reminded of this. Now, I don't know if you brought a Bible with you this morning, or maybe you carry one on your phone, but it's going to be uh, much easier for you to follow the flow of what we'll be talking about this morning if you have a Bible open. So there are some Bibles in the chair racks below, uh, below the chairs in front of you. If you don't have your own Bible, grab one of those and turn to Hebrews chapter 11, the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 11, and I believe this will be on page 1169 in those few Bibles there. Okay, Hebrews chapter 11. So the 11th chapter of Hebrews is a walk through the biblical hall of fame. I mean, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, King David. Then a host of lesser known heroes are also listed like Gideon and Samson, the prophet Samuel. But, but I want you to look at verse 34, chapter 11, 34, the one about quenching fire and escaping the sword. There's a little phrase in that verse that we mustn't miss. Do you see it there? Referring to those men and women who did such powerful acts of faith, it says, whose weakness was turned into strength. Whose weakness was turned into strength. That little phrase is the foundation of our faith. Accepting it as a bedrock principle in our lives is the launching point for a faith in God that can accurately be called great. Our weakness becomes strength when placed in the hand of God. So here's how the Apostle Paul said it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. For when I am weak, I am strong. (laughs) See, God's power is made perfect through our weakness. Now, that's not the way the world works, but it is the way God's kingdom works. So let's say, just for a moment, that you are one of those people with a fitful faith in God. It it comes and it goes. 
Your name, you believe, is never going to be listed in the updated version of Hebrews chapter 11. Your knees start to knock whenever you even think about sharing your faith with a neighbor. Uh, You stammer and stutter whenever someone puts up the smallest challenge to what you believe. You can't make yourself pray boldly or, or the idea of stepping out in faith for your livelihood or with your finances, well, it's, it's beyond imagining. Let's say for the moment that you understand your faith to be weak, small. I would, I would be willing to bet then that your notion of faith has been shaped by the world and not by the Bible. The people listed in Hebrews chapter 11 um, as abiding models for our lives of faith, they're not spiritual giants. They were ordinary, fallible people full of flaws and weaknesses just like you and me. (laughs) And yet God did unimaginable things through them. Their weakness was turned into strength as they learn to trust the power of God. So, I mean, that's what faith is, as we describe it in the book of Hebrews and otherwhere in Scripture. That's what faith is, trust. Trusting God. Nothing more, nothing less. A farmer, on his 57th birthday, was given a ride by a neighbor in his small airplane, Uh, It was the farmer's very first time off the ground. Uh, The two men flew around the countryside for a half hour or so, looking at all the farms, seeing the sights. And when they landed, the farmer was asked, well, were you scared? And with some hesitation, he answered, well, no, but I never put my full weight down. (laughs) See, faith is putting your full weight down down on God. That's what the people listed in Hebrews 11 did. They put their full weight down on God and that's why they're listed. Now it makes a, it makes a wonderful Bible study going through Hebrews chapter 11, looking up the stories of the people that are listed there. Some of them we know without having to look. Others, it's nice to actually go and read about them. Abraham, Noah, Moses, the rest. Each of them were, commend, or were commended by Scripture for their great faith, and each of them were ordinary, mistake-prone people like you and me, with this one commendable quality. They learned to put their full weight down on God, to, to trust Him, and to understand their weakness as an opportunity for God to demonstrate his power. So let's see how this works. Let's go to the people our Bible commends as having great faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews, ordinary people just like us, and let's see how these people put their full weight down on God. Uh, We're not going to talk about every name that's on that list today. In fact, we're going to talk about just one name a name that you might not even have noticed in your reading of chapter 11, Barak. Now, how many of you have ever heard of Barak? 
Not, not that Barack. <laughs> Until Mrs. Obama named her son Barack, most people had never heard of that name, but there he is in the Faith Hall of Fame, right next to Gideon and Samson and David and Samuel. So let's see what made him commendable as a model for our faith. Please uh, flip now in your Bibles back to the Old Testament book of Judges, back to chapter 4, where the story of Barak is found. And I think that would be on page 235 in most of the red uh, pew Bibles there. Judges chapter 4, and I think it's on page 235. Do you know the book of Judges? It's a group of stories that is set in the years directly after Joshua led the Hebrews out of the desert where they had wandered uh, for 40 years. Joshua led them into the land that God had promised them. And under his leader leadership, they drove out many, unfortunately not all, but they drove out many of the brutal pagan tribes that lived there and began life as God's own people with the mission with a mission of of drawing their neighbors into the knowledge of the one true God. But things did not go well for the Israelites in the promised land by their own doing. Instead of acting like the people of God, the Bible says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Instead of winning over their neighbors, God's people became like their neighbors, doing every form of pagan evil, idolatry, temple prostitution, and even child sacrifice. And so because he loved them and had a job for them to do, God disciplined his people. Um, He sent enemies to overcome them. And then in their misery, they cried out to God for deliverance, Whereupon he would raise up from among them a deliverer, a warrior, a mighty warrior, to lead them in defeating their enemies and to to lead them back into a way of life that honored him and achieved his purpose. The Bible calls these deliverers judges. Now don't confuse them with the people we call judges today. Biblical judges were mighty warriors, deliverers, who saved God's people and then led them back to himself. Okay, in the book of Judges then, this sin, discipline, repentance, deliverance cycle happens over and over and over again. Shortly after one judge dies, the people drift back into evil again. God disciplines them again. They cry out again. God sends another judge, Gideon, Ehud, Deborah, Jephthah, Samson, others. Barak, however, was not a judge. (laughs) He was a military commander who served under Deborah, a woman that God had raised up as a judge, as a mighty warrior in Israel, to lead Israel back to himself. So, Back to the book of Judges, chapter 4, verse 1. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. There it is again, the the pattern. Israel again did what was evil in the sight of God. Verse 2, God sold them into the hand of King Jabin of Canaan. 
And then verse 4, at that time, Deborah, a prophetess, was judging Israel. Okay, so not only was Deborah a judge, God's deliverer, she had another key role in Israel. She was a prophetess. She was God's mouthpiece. Okay? Now, verse 6. Deborah sent for Barak and told him to carry out a strategic part in her plan to defeat Canaan. So far, so good? Now, before I go any further, I I want you to notice something. (laughs) Notice that Hebrews chapter 11 commends Barak as a model for our lives of faith, not Deborah. I mean, that's interesting. Now, not to diminish anything about Deborah and her accomplishments for God, the Bible commends Barak for his faith in this story. Let's see if we can figure out why. Look at verses 8 and 9. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you. But because of the way you are going about this, honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Now, that's how the New International Version, which is our Pew Bibles, that's how the NIV translates this passage. And it makes Barak seem like anything but a model for our faith, right? Okay, you whiner, I'll come with you. But because you're a mouse and not a man, God is going to hand the enemy over to a woman. Well, that, however, is a very unfortunate translation of the Hebrew into English in this passage. The more literal translations, like the NASB, New American Standard Bible, uh, the RSV, the Revised Standard, the more literal translations do a better job with this passage, and it allows us to see why Barak is remembered by Scripture as a man of faith, not as a coward. (laughs) Deborah's reply actually went more like this from the New American Standard Bible. I will certainly go with you. However, the fame shall not be yours on the journey you're about to take. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Now let me just take an unscripted parathetical step to the side here to say, wait a minute, does that mean we can't trust our Bibles? If it didn't translate this with great clarity. And what I would say to that is to remind you and me as Bible readers that what we're reading is a translation of the text. We're not reading the text as it was written. And so whatever we go into our English translations of our Bibles, we need to do it with our eyes wide open recognizing that there are a variety of ways the translators could take those texts and put them into the English language. It might be helpful for your Bible reading to get a, uh, you know, a, 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 a four-translation text so that while you're reading it and studying it, you can be looking at the way four different translators have chosen to render a particular text. And that begins to give you a sense of what the translation issues might be. Okay, 
Now back to the regularly scheduled sermon. <laughs> well, that's pretty much the whole story of Barak. He was asked by Deborah to play a strategic role in an all-important battle. He said he would do it, but only if she came with him. She told him she would, but she wanted him to know that he was not going to get the glory for winning this battle. A woman, not Deborah, would be remembered for her part in the battle. The battle was won, and that woman did get the glory. And Barak, Barak was named in the Faith Hall of Fame. So what can we learn from Barak, a man who might easily appear to be weak in this story? Barak knew the battle was the Lord's and not his. Even as a military commander, a trusted, effective military leader in Israel, Barak knew that this battle belonged to the Lord. How do we know that? Because he insisted that Deborah accompany him. Deborah was a prophetess and a judge the mouthpiece of God, and the symbol of his power. If Deborah came to battle, then God came. Without Deborah, without God, Barak said he would not go because the battle was the Lord's. Now, <laughs> this is where most of us go wrong in applying our faith, whether we understand it to be large or small, this is where most of us go wrong in applying our faith to our battles, right at the beginning. Here's what we do. <laughs> we begin our challenge trusting in our strengths, our talents, our skills, and we don't call on God until we get into trouble. If then... So in other words, we sabotage our lives of faith right from the beginning because we think that we don't need God until we get into trouble. We trust in our strength instead of giving God our weakness right from the beginning. Now Barak knew that he was unequal for the task he was called to. Never mind that he was a battle-hardened military commander or that he enjoyed the confidence of his leader, Deborah. He knew he was not able to do this job without the help of God. And so he refused. <laughs> he refused to even begin without God's presence. So, how often do you refuse to even start something until you're certain that God is going to be there to supply the power? I mean, almost never, I bet. If you're like me, almost never. That's because we've, we've all been trained, we men especially, but we've all been trained to think of ourselves in terms of strength and not weakness. We're trained to believe that we can get the job done, that we can do anything we set our minds to, that if we want it badly enough, if we dig deeply enough, we can accomplish anything. <laughs> but it's not the Bible that trains us to think that way. And that kind of thinking is disastrous to our lives of faith. 
God helps those who help themselves. I mean, you've heard that before, right? Maybe you've even said that before. Well, no offense, but what a vile piece of heresy. I mean, it doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from the pit. God, God helps those who have the good sense to admit they cannot do it on their own, who cast themselves on him from the very beginning, people like Barak. So if your faith seems like an, um, an unreliable force, in your life that seems to abandon you when you need it most, well, it's probably because your faith is really in yourself, in your competence, in your work ethic, or your experience, in your ability to charm people, or to organize things, in your education, or your reputation, or your social position, in your possessions in the people or institutions that surround you. You trust in your strength. I know I do. But God's power is perfected in our weakness, not in our strength. And faith, the kind of faith that lands a person in Hebrews chapter 11, well, that is putting our full weight down on God right from the beginning, putting our trust in Him and not ourselves. So trust, faith, it's like a muscle. <laughs> it gets stronger the more we use it. So do you want your faith to grow, to become a force that you can depend on in your life, to become something that God can use in his kingdom? I do. And I think all of us then should take a lesson from Barak. Recognize right from the beginning that the battle is the Lord's. Don't start out trusting in your own power, planning on, on calling on God when you get into trouble. <laughs> start out by refusing to proceed under your own strength. Start out believing that your weakness will give God a chance to display his power. Trust God. Trust God. So, why am I reminding us as we begin a new calendar year? Why am I reminding us of these basic kingdom realities? That, that faith is trusting God, putting our full weight down on him alone and that he turns our weakness into strength as we put our faith in him. Why? Why the reminder today? Well, you might look at the world around you and at the COVID pandemic, at the political and social polarization in our country, at climate change, and think, if there was ever a time to trust God, it would be now. And you would be right in thinking that. We as, as people of the world are indeed facing challenges that only God can lead us through. We need to put our full weight down on Him now 
more than ever. But that's not what I'm driving at this morning. I'm thinking more locally than that. There are challenges right here at Evergreen Covenant Church that we have to face in 2020 too. Challenges that will require us to put our full weight down on God, to trust Him, that He will turn our weakness into strength in order for us to move forward. I mean, COVID, this pandemic would have been enough challenge for us to deal with following the decades of slow decline that we've experienced in our church. But add to that the tsunami of trouble that we experienced this fall and the task ahead of us to rebuild trust, to reconcile relationships, to regroup and retool for God's future, the task ahead of us is a huge one. In the two months that I've been with you as your transitional lead pastor, I've concentrated on hearing your stories and on reminding you of some of the Bible's basic truths in the Psalms and in the Advent story. But now in 2022, it's time for us to roll up our sleeves and together and to begin rebuilding. Now, for some of you, that might feel like, gee, it's about time. Let's get on with it. And for others of you, that might feel like reliving pain that had started to die down a little. But it is time. It's time. And as we put our full weight down on God, as we trust him from the very beginning, instead of waiting until we're backed into a corner, as we watch him turn our weakness into strength, we can believe that God will heal us and move us forward. So, as we enter 2022, let's take to heart this exhortation from our passage from today, Hebrews chapter 11, actually chapter 12. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Let's put our full weight down on God and let's see what he will do in 2022. Amen.